Advocates for the Sinaiic start calling a March 27th ruling delivered in a Nelson, B.C. courtroom a watershed moment for their long struggle for recognition and rights under Canadian law. Sinaiic's hunter Richard Desatel is a resident of Washington State, where he resides on the Colville Reservation. In 2010, he was charged in B.C. for killing an elk while hunting in the Castlegar area. His hunt was intended as a challenge to the federal government's position that the Sinaiics are extinct, or rather, extinct for the purposes of the Indian Act. The incident led to a charge under the B.C. Wildlife Act, and in the resulting court case, lawyer Mark Underhill represented Mr. Desatel and, and argued for traditional Sinaiics' rights to hunt in the area. The March 27th ruling by Judge Lisa Ronzinski found that Desotel does have an Aboriginal right to hunt for food in traditional Sinaiq's territory in Canada. Judge Ronzinski's decision is a key milestone in the Sinaiq struggle for recognition under Canadian law. The federal government declared the Sinaiq's extinct in 1956, after the last residents of a small reserve near Oatscott on the Lower Arrow Lake died. The Sinaiq's say their traditional territory included seasonal hunting grounds that stretch from Washington State, to the Revelstoke area in Canada. Starting in the mid-1800s, pressure from settlers and miners in the Arrow Lakes area led many Sinaiks to settle in Washington State, where they were eventually cut off by the Canadian border from traditional activities like hunting. This has led to several legal challenges in the Sinaik struggle to regain traditional rights in Canada. The March 27th ruling is a significant foot in the door in this legal saga. In evidence introduced during the three-week trial, the defense argued that adverse conditions, including pressure and incursions from settlers and miners, forced the Sinaiks into the U.S., where they were eventually cut off to seasonal hunting grounds by the border. The government argued that they left voluntarily. In her reasons for judgment, Judge Mronzinski noted the seasonal nature of Sinaiks' hunting practices in the pre-contact era and found that they accessed seasonal hunting grounds as far north as Revelstoke. Despite the Sinaiq's historical move to what is now the U.S., the judge found they had not given up their connection to these traditional territories and therefore legally maintained Aboriginal rights. Mr. Desatel was acquitted. Outside the courtroom, dozens of residents from the Colville Confederated Tribes in Washington State joined locals and the hunter in celebration. We spoke with Mark Underhill, the lawyer who represented Desatel. He said the ruling was a milestone. Mr. Underhill, what does this ruling mean for the Sinaiqs? Well, at one level, it means everything for the Sinaiqs people. Um, so to just take a couple steps back, uh, Rick Desichel's journey began in 2010. Um, this story, of course, goes back thousands of years, but um, for purposes of our discussion this morning, it's probably useful to start in 1956 when the Arrow Lakes Indian Band was declared extinct. Um, the Arrow Lakes Indian Band was, was essentially a small group of Sinaiq's people who at the time were resident in British Columbia, and this is in the early part of the 20th century. And the government set aside, frankly, an entirely inadequate piece of land near Oatscott, and uh, a reserve was established there. But we're talking about a handful of people, even at its peak in the early part of the 20th century. And so when the last member died... Uh, Annie Joseph was her name. The government, uh, I think in anticipation, it's fair to say, of hydroelectric development, um, declared the band extinct and took back the reserve lands. And so since that time, Aaron, the Sinaiq's people have really been fighting, it seems a bit trite to say, but it's absolutely true, fighting for their identity. And uh, on Monday, the Canadian courts finally recognized that, yes, the Sinaiq's people still do exist. And in practicality, what does that mean? 
Well, in practicality, uh, what it means is that they have a foundation on which they can assert various rights in Canada. You know, immediately what the ruling means as a practical matter is is Rick DeSatel and others tonight's people can hunt in their traditional territory in Canada. So the immediate pra- that's the immediate practical effect. What the other sort of effects or consequences of are are yet to be determined. But immediately speaking, um, the Sinaiks are able to hunt in their traditional territory in Canada. With this legal victory at this point, uh, you know, what are your next steps and what are your ultimate goals? I, I think the next steps, you know, the, the reconciliation process, which, you know, many other First Nations have been uh, on that journey for, for, for quite a few years now, is just beginning for the Sinaiks, obviously, because the government was refusing to even acknowledge their existence until um, until this judgment came along. And, of course, we're expecting uh, any number of appeals to be uh, coming forward. But in the short term, what it means is the start of a reconciliation process. Uh, that means reconnecting with the land. That means reconnecting with the people of British Columbia, figuring out where the Snikes are going to fit into the landscape in Canada, because the reality is they've certainly not had a welcome place there, Aaron, for, for a long time. One of the things that sticks out for people is the word extinct. When they, you know, when they meet people and they know of people who are Sinaixed, they they hear the word extinction. They say, well, you know, that couldn't be true because I've met this person or I know this person. But then there's the term, uh, you know, extinct for the purposes of the Indian Act. And I want to ask uh, for you, how much of this ruling is a moral victory and how much of it is a legal victory? And can you untangle, you know, the differences between those at this point? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, and one of the things I, uh, you know, gave me a lot of pause for thought as I, as I work through this is, is, you know, the government will stand up and say and do say and will say, I'm sure, going forward. Well, look, we were never saying the Snikes people or people with Snikes answering didn't exist. We know they were there. They were just legally extinct in the sense that they were not a group that could claim uh, constitutionally protected rights in Canada. And, you know, I I think I can speak on behalf of my clients on on this piece to say that that's a distinction, um, you know, that means nothing to the Sinaiqs people. They felt the pain of being told that they as Sinaiqs people didn't exist. And so if you think about it, whatever your own background may be or whatever the background of the listeners to this may be, um, you're essentially being denied that heritage. You know, for Sinaiqs people, if you can't exercise your culture in your traditional territory, you're not Sinaiqs. Aboriginal identity is very much tied up with place, as, you know, our witnesses testified during the course. And so there was a deep, deep pain from not being recognized as Sinaiq's people for all those years, I can tell you that. Whether it's treaty negotiations uh, or other uh, issues related to, you know, First Nations rights, in a place like Revelstoke, a a fairly geographically isolated community, it often doesn't really have a lot of practical implications on the ground for for day-to-day people. Um, As a result of this ruling, will, will we be seeing any practical changes or noticeable changes? Well, I, I, I don't know that you will right away, but what, what the people of Revastoke will see over time is much more of a Sinaik's presence, you know. Um, what's interesting about Revelstoke and the larger area, the Arrow Lakes area, is that, um, 
you know, it is unique in the province in that you don't feel the Aboriginal presence that you do pretty much everywhere else in the province. You know, even in downtown Vancouver, where I currently live and work, um, you feel the Musqueam, you feel the Salatooth, and you feel the Squamish. And that isn't, you know, in my limited experience in the area, of course, I've only been there a handful of times, that absence is notable. Uh, but that's not going to be an overnight thing, Aaron. That's going to be something that, that will change over time. And, and you know, it's early days yet. And so exactly what that presence will mean and look like uh, is yet to be determined. What about, you just mentioned earlier that the Snakes will likely have a larger presence uh, in, in the coming future. Uh, what uh, sort of things are you talking about? Well, I think we're talking about things like cultural centers. We're talking about uh, education um, you know, including language education and, and general public awareness and, you know, and as well, practicing their culture and their traditions on the land uh, will be, I am sure, uh, a big part of what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, lawyer Mark Underhill represented the Sinaixt in a court case that uh, came to a conclusion uh, in the Nelson uh, courthouse last week. Mark, I just wanted to, to ask you uh, one, more, uh, one more question. Is the government likely to appeal this and what are the next steps on the, the legal journey here? Yeah, I mean, sadly, the expectation is that uh, the government will appeal. In fact, many observers are of the view that this will go all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. So that means uh, essentially three layers of appeal, if you would, uh, before this, uh, this uh, story is concluded. Mm-hmm. Mr. Underhill, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you, Aaron.